ready to take a ride. Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. If you listen, you can hear God's plan. Because the show is about to begin. You're listening. You're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network.
that we would turn from the wicked ways of this evil generation and that we would return to you to the straight and to the narrow path to the ancient way the old way which you call the good way where we might find peace for our souls and where we will find life and salvation in Jesus Father be with us in this time we all look to you for you alone are our hope in this hour in Jesus name we pray Amen Amen it's uh, again an honor to have you back on Benjamin uh, what is uh, the Lord put on your heart for tonight? Let me give you the microphone. Well, hallelujah. You know, it's, it's really interesting, Shannon, because we've done a couple of shows over maybe the last year, and I really haven't been um, speaking that much intermittently. But in the last week or so, I really felt that I was supposed to start doing more radio and, and more speaking around. And um, I really felt like um, Saturday night with Omega Man was supposed to be something I was going to do. And the focus was going to be really the scripture. And I kind of had it in my heart that maybe I was supposed to do a number of Saturdays. But I knew you'd already had those booked. And so I didn't really say anything to you. Uh, and then other than when are we going to do another show? And you invited me to come on Saturday and and then informed me that Saturday was actually going to now be open. So maybe we'll be doing this on a go-forward basis. And, and you asked me, you know, what should be the title of the show? And I, I, I think I told you I have no idea. But I prayed about it, and, you know, what came to me was the word that the Lord spoke to me back really at the beginning of all of this, of all of these things when I was shown the judgment that was going to come upon America. And when I say I was shown it, um, it wasn't a picture, it wasn't a dream. I didn't have a vision. I was standing in my living room and I, I literally stepped into the future. It was like I stepped off a train or walked off of a bus and, and I was in the future. I was there in full flesh and and um, and it was real because I was there, and I saw and witnessed the days that are coming. And and when this ended, the Lord returned me to my living room, and I immediately fell on the ground, weeping, crying out, "Lord, what must we do to escape this judgment? To be saved from this judgment?" I think is what I said. I don't remember my words exactly. But I do remember the words that the Lord spoke exactly. And this is a thus saith the Lord. The Lord answered me, and I was hysterical, people. I was weeping and screaming. The Lord was very calm, and he, and he spoke with great authority, and he said, Search the scriptures for the detailed instructions for this hour are in the word of God. And, you know, I got busy because the Lord um, arranged for me to get fired from my job shortly thereafter. And so I began to search the scriptures, and I had studied the scriptures my entire life. And, um, but I'd never seen the detailed instructions and the detailed 
prophetic message for this hour before, because the book is sealed. The prophetic writings for the final hour were sealed until this time, and only now has the Spirit begun to reveal these instructions to the Church, and to the true Church. And, you know, I guess I should back up, because um, the first thing the Lord said to me, actually, was, I will protect that which is mine everything else will be destroyed. And then I asked him, Lord, I, I need to know what to do, and I can't hear from man in this hour, I must hear from you. And then the Lord answered, search the scriptures for the detailed instructions for this hour are in the word of God. Friends, Jesus spoke that to me in an audible voice. I heard that with my ears, it burned into my soul, and I have not forgotten and I'm quoting precisely. The Lord showed me the judgment that is coming on this country, and and it is it's unimaginable. You cannot imagine what is about to happen. And you probably have never experienced anything quite like this before in your life. Um, I certainly hadn't. It left me trembling for a week. But the Lord, the Lord was very calm, and he made it very clear, in my opinion, as I've reflected over the years on the meaning of these words, because I can tell you what the Lord said. That doesn't mean I necessarily understand exactly what he meant. Sometimes things the Lord has said, 20 years later I look back and go, oh, now I'm starting to get it. And... The Lord was very clear. He said, I will protect that which is mine. Everything else will be destroyed. And he really put the emphasis, you know, like you slam your fist on the table kind of tone. He really put the emphasis in that word, destroyed, like he really meant it. Everything else will be destroyed. And so, when you asked me, what should we title the show, I, I prayed about it, and what came to me was, we use the word of the Lord. Search the scriptures. You know, in this hour, there's so much deception around us. It is everywhere. The world is just a big propaganda machine. Most of the people are walking in pretense with double-minded agendas and, and you know, they change with the wind. Very few people even tell the truth, let alone try to keep their word anymore. So there's really nothing out there that you can rely on, that you can look to for truth. We are left with the scriptures, even these prophets that are out there. And oh, there are many prophets today, all over these so-called charismatic churches. This prophecy is rampant. And you know, we're going to learn from the scriptures that the Lord warned us there would be many false prophets in this hour. And the word many is polis. In the Greek, it means the vast majority. If I were to guess a percentage, I would say 99%. But I don't know exactly what polis means. Maybe it's 
people representing themselves as prophets are in fact prophets of Baal. And how did we get here? To our listening audience that is awake, and, and I'm sure most of the people that have tuned in know the time that we're in, they know the lateness of the hour, and they understand something about the problems that have that are now manifesting, that are now obvious, that were so hidden in the darkness not too long ago, but today they are just screaming. The light of day is, is beginning to reveal what has been hidden in the darkness, and that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight is some of the scripture of what on earth is really happening here within what calls itself the church and how did we get here how did we get here you know i think back shannon to um i think the year was maybe 1977 yes and um i had been saved in 1971. I met the Lord in 1971, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and and I had a profound conversion, and I had a profound anointing. I remember when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was like 20 million gallons of living water got poured in me, and 20 million volts of electricity kind of entered into me and just resided, and, and um, Wow. And I began to hear from the Lord daily. And and when I would pray, the Lord would answer. And I, and I heard him clear, clear as day. And when I read in the scriptures, and I was just a little kid, I was like 14 at the time, I read in my little Bible, my sheep hear my voice. I thought, they sure do. I hear you loud and clear, Lord. But after um, after four years of being a believer... And I went off to college, and my second year of college, um, I wanted to kind of go check out the world. And, and so uh, I told the Lord that I wanted to backslide. I wanted to go check out the world. I wanted to go to a couple frat parties, and I wanted to drink some beer, and I wanted to chase a few girls around, you know, just flirt with some girls. And I, I didn't really want to, like, go into total sin and rebellion. I just wanted to go see what the world was all about. And so I prayed about it and told the Lord, I, I want to go into the world for a little bit. And uh, the Lord did not answer me when I prayed that. Later in my life, the Lord told me, this is hard. The Lord told me that hurt his feelings. <laughs> I was astonished. I, I didn't really realize that I could hurt God's feelings with the things that I said or did. But the Lord told me the fact that I wanted to leave him and go play around in the world for a little bit actually hurt his feelings. But so the Lord let me go. And I did not hear from the Lord for three years. And in that three years, I went into the world and I fell deeper and deeper into the darkness and to the point that 
I had the enemy telling me I had lost my salvation. And a number of things began to happen. Supernatural things began to happen to me and my friends that caused us to, to actually believe these lies from hell. And, and I actually went to church. I went to, a, to see the pastors at one of the churches, big charismatic church at the time, and, and I told them, you know, what had happened and um, that the enemy had told me I was no longer saved and uh, that I was going to hell. You know the ironic thing, Shannon? The pastors agreed with the devils. Wow. Because um, I had devils appearing. My friends and I actually had evil spirits appear to us and speak to us and tell us, you know, you guys need to figure out who you are. You're wasting your time. You're coming with us, and you better figure it out. Whoa. Yeah. And, you know, and then I went to church, and I said, you know, what do I do? You know, I got these devils appearing, and... They're telling me I'm not even saved, that they, they can't do that to a Christian. And the pastor's like, well, that's right. They can't do that to a Christian. And so I thought I'd lost my salvation, Shannon. thought I was going to hell. Like Israel described in the book of Ezekiel 38, where it says they had lost all hope. You know, most Americans cannot even conceive of what it means to have lost all hope. But I, I know. I've been there. I know what it feels like to have no hope. And, um, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to join the enemy. I hate You know, Benjamin, um, along the way, you went to a uh, Christian rock concert at nine, didn't you? What did yeah, you see? Well, yeah, I did. Well, we'll get to that in a sec. I'm glad you mentioned it, though. I will, I will, I will address that. Um, but, you know, the pastors were teaching the same thing as the devils. And I didn't understand that the pastors could be liars, too. So I actually believed what the devils said, because the pastors were saying the same thing. And so I thought I'd lost my salvation. And um, after, you know, I decided I wanted to study what had killed me. How did I die? How did this happen? I just wanted to go to a frat party, okay? I didn't want to go to hell. I just wanted to have a couple beers and see what all the fun was about. And here I had ended up in hell. So I wanted to know, how did this kill me? So I began to study it. For three years I studied. And I, uh, I went behind the enemy lines as a spy, I guess. But after three years in the dark, and I had not heard from the Lord, and I lived a life of what I could only describe as great woe. Shannon, the Lord came to my house. Wow. He came to my house. I didn't see him with my eyes, but a mighty wind blew the doors open. The presence of God came in, in power. And let me tell you, if the Lord comes to your house and he wants to let you know that he just blew the door open, he can do it. Amen. And then he began to speak to me in an audible voice. 
Now, I hadn't heard from the Lord for three years, and, and all of a sudden, he comes in my home. And, uh, and the Lord says to me, you know, some people don't even believe this, because I've shared this testimony before, and people have attacked me for it, thinking I made this up. I, I am not making this up. This really happened. Maybe it's just outside some people's theology of what they think God could or would do, but I'm just telling you what God did for and to me. The Lord comes in my house and he says to me, I want you to do me a favor. I'm like, what? I, I didn't know what to say. And so you know, I thought for a moment and, and then I just said, Lord, what do you want me for? I'm a pagan now. Remember? I'm not even saved. What do you want me to do a favor for? And then he said to me, I want you to pray for the babies being murdered in America. And, I mean, what? that shook me. I'm like, what do you say to that? And I, I said, Lord, what do you want me to pray for? Why don't you get your church to pray? And I'm thinking, you know, God needs prayer. Well, why, why look to me? I'm like the least of the people that could be praying. I didn't even think I was saved. Why don't you get your church to pray? The Lord answered me and said, I asked my church to pray, and they won't pray. I was blown away. I mean, when I was part of the church, and the Lord asked me to do something, I generally went and did it. I used to keep a little notepad, and what I'd pray and ask the Lord in the morning what I was supposed to do for the day, he'd tell me the things he wanted me to do. I would write them down so I didn't forget them. And I'd put a little piece of paper in my pocket, and during the day I'd pull out my little, you know, honey-do list, and I'd check them off, make sure I did everything the Lord told me to do. But, um, you know, I was no longer part of the church in my mind, you know, so I no longer had any to-do list from the Lord. I hadn't gotten a to-do list for three years. But the Lord told me I've asked my church to pray, and they won't pray. And so I, I, I responded, I said, Lord, what's wrong with your church? Now the Lord, he's not going to discuss with you things that are not your business. So he did not answer me about the church. He answered me by saying, I just want you to pray. And then the glory of God departed. And I sat in my house just totally amazed. God wanted a favor from me. And I like the Lord. You know, if the Lord wants a favor, I'm going to do him a favor. Even if Amen. I think I'm going to hell and you know, I don't want to. I don't want to go further on that because that gets into my testimony. And you know, this show is really about what's wrong with your church. This was 1977, and the Lord said, "I've asked the church to pray for babies that are being murdered, and they won't pray." I am not making this up. That's what Jesus said. Now, you don't have to receive what I've said to you. 
you know, and, and the scripture tells you you're supposed to test what I'm saying. You don't just receive a word from anyone, especially in this hour where most of the people that are speaking are liars. So, brethren, do your job. Be Bereans. Test what I'm sharing. Test what Shannon is sharing tonight. Test it in prayer. Test it by the Holy Spirit. And test it in the Word of God. And see if what we're declaring to you lines up with Holy Scripture. And ask the Lord to confirm it. And then, if he does, and it lines up with the Word, receive it. And if you don't get the confirmation, and it doesn't line up with your understanding of the Word, then don't receive it. Do with it what you will. But we're compelled to speak in this hour, and so we're going to do our job. And you guys do your job. But the Lord made it very clear, the church won't pray. That was 1977. Things have gotten a whole lot worse since then. And that's what we're going to get into tonight. And, and the reason is it's time for the people of God to be given the complete discernment of what on earth is happening to the church, to that which calls itself the church, to that which is on the, tel- the television, to that which has got the airwaves today. What in the world is this thing? And what is happening there? And Shannon, you, you mentioned after I'd been restored by the Lord, um, this was several years later, when the Lord brought me back to fellowship with him and to the covenant of his salvation. And I had an opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies for a weekend with a couple of other people, spend a weekend with the Lord. And um past time of my life. And in that time, the Lord spoke audibly to the group of us and revealed many things, taught us many things. The power was in- incredible. It was incredible. We-, we prayed through two straight nights, and, and the anointing, well, I've never seen an, an experience in anointing such as this prior to that or, or since that time, but... You know, at one point, Shannon, the anointing, it just kept growing and growing in power. I mean, the fire was incredible. And the, late into the second night, the anointing on me was so intense, my hands began to burn as if they were on fire. And they were literally burning. And I felt like I was catching on fire, and it was hurting. I was combusting. For our God is a consuming fire, and he was setting me ablaze. And I cried out. I said, Lord, you're beginning to scare me, Lord. This is hurting. I'm getting scared. And the Lord the Lord answered, and he said, You never thought you'd have to pray for that, now did you? And he, Shannon, he started laughing. <laughs> wow, I'm serious. <laughs> the Lord laughed. I heard the Lord laugh. And... Um, and then two hands reached down and held my hands, and the pain stopped. And, um, you know, the Lord doesn't tell jokes. I don't know if you guys have noticed that from the scriptures, but, you know, the Lord doesn't really tell jokes in his word, but the Lord does have a sense of humor. And things happen from time to time that are slight, they're funny. 
And the Lord definitely laughs at them. And I had the privilege of hearing the Lord laugh. I guess he was laughing at me. Um, but after that weekend, we left this place, and, uh, and we were driving down the freeway, Shannon. People were pulling up alongside us in their cars, you know, driving 60 miles an hour, rolling their windows down, screaming at us, weeping. Carloads of Christians would drive, and as soon as they get next to us, they'd hit the brakes. They would stop trying to, you know, accelerating past us, and they'd roll their windows down, and they'd stop. Sorry, some technical difficulties here. They'd start yelling and weeping because they could discern the anointing. But that weekend, the Lord sent me to a Christian concert, and I was still in the afterglow of this anointing, which God removed from us. And um, But we still had the afterglow of this anointing, and I went to this Christian concert, and the band started playing Shannon, and I saw 2,000 devils fly up out of the stage. Good grief. Fill the auditorium. And I sat there in spiritual warfare against this horde from hell. And all the other believers were sitting there kind of clicking their fingers, snapping their fingers, and, you know, shaking their heads to the beat. I was horrified. And as long as they played, this horde of hell was in the air. When the music stopped, the devils just left. And then this band gave an altar call. And I thought, what are they calling the people to? God, have mercy. A burning of devils? A worship of hell? Yeah, that's basically it. And it's in the scriptures, and we're going to get into that now. Let's all turn to Zechariah chapter 5. And we're going to look at the curse that is in the earth that calls itself the church. Zechariah chapter 5. There's so much of Scripture is prophetic to both the time in which it was written and in, unto the time of the end. In the book of Job, we are told that man does not consider it for the Lord when he speaks, he speaks twice. God's prophetic word always has two fulfillments. He promised the coming of a Messiah. How many times does the Messiah come? He told Adam, the day you eat this, you shall die. How many times did Adam die? First spiritually, the day he ate, and then within the first day of the Lord, he died in the flesh as well. The Lord of God, the, the word of the Lord is always fulfilled twice. Always twice. Zechariah chapter 5. Then I turned and I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold, a flying scroll. And the angel said unto me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. And the length thereof is twenty cubits and the breadth thereof is ten and then he said unto me, This is the curse that has gone forth over the face of the entire earth. For everyone that steals shall be cut off on this side according to it. And everyone that swears falsehoods shall be cut off as written on the other side according to it. And I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts. And it shall enter into the house of the thief, the house of the one who steals. And it will enter into the house of the one that swears falsely by my name. 
and this curse shall remain in the midst of that house and will consume it. With the timber thereof and the stones thereof, even the stones are going to burn. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now your eyes and see what it is that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an ephah that goes forth. And he said, Moreover, this is the resemblance throughout all the earth. This is what the curse looks like. When you see it come into the earth, it's going to look like this ephah. And the word for curse in the Hebrew is Allah. Isn't that interesting? A-L-A-H, folks. Yeah. Good grief. They're cursed. Yeah, good grief is right. Allah means curse in Hebrew, or cursing, or swearing. It's an evil thing. And the word for stealing is ganab, and it means to thieve, to deceive, to carry away by stealth. So it's not just thievery, but it's deceivery. This is the curse on all those that deceive, all those who have pretense, all those who lie to themselves, all those who cover and hide the shame of their sin and do not repent. This is the curse that comes forward. And the word for swear is Shabbat. And it means completed, to seven oneself. It's the completion, the swearing, the oath. To declare as absolute truth falsely. The Lord says this curse comes upon him that swears falsely in my name. They bring the Word of God with falsehood. They teach the Word of God falsely. And they do so with deception and with stealing, thievery. They want the money. But they're not just stealing the money. They're stealing the glory of the Lord. They want the glory. They want to be the ones lifted up. They want to ascend to the highest place. They want to lift their kingdom up with the kingdom of the Most High. Just like Lucifer. They want to make a name for themselves. They don't want the Lord's name glorified. This is the false church. Men who come speaking falsely in the name of the Lord. With deception. In order to steal God's glory. In order to steal the money from the people. And that curse is manifested. It's, its resemblance is in the earth in the form of this ephod. Where the Lord says they swear falsely by my name, Zechariah 5.4. The word falsely actually translates untrue as if a sham. It's a show. It's fake. It's pretense. It's deceitful. They are lying. They're swearing. They're testifying of the word. They're testifying of the word of the Lord, but it's a sham. It's a falsehood. It's but a lie.
and in verse 6 again. What is it? It's an ephah that goes forth. This is the resemblance of the curse. This is how you're going to see the curse manifest. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, a weighty piece of lead. And this is a woman that sits in the midst of the ephah. And the word ephah is a full measure. It was used in commerce. The full measure of this curse, the full measure of this wickedness. And the word for resemblance is ayin, and it means the eye, it means the appearance, the countenance. This is what the curse looks like as it manifests itself in the earth. This is the appearance of the curse. And the ephah represents the full measure of the curse that's poured out. The unrighteous filling up the measure of their iniquity. These are they that are meted out to destruction. I'm sharing a little here from Matthew Henry's commentary. As an ephah of corn measured to the market or the mill. Some commentators think that by mentioning the ephah, which is used in buying and selling, it implies the commercial fraud, the monetary fraud, and the extortion that goes on in this false church. Yeah, if you want God's blessing, give us the money. Give us the money, just like the widow gave Elijah her last meal of corn and oil. Give us your last dollar. It's all fraud and extortion within the false church. And the angel says of the woman in the ephod, this is wickedness, verse 8. And he said, this is wickedness, this woman represents wickedness. It is a wicked nation, a wicked church, and thus has been rejected by God because it is abominably wicked. We are shown the woman thrust down into the ephah and a large weight of lead cast upon the mouth thereof by which she is secured as a prisoner and utterly unable to escape. This is a picture to show us the wrath of God against these hypocritical sinners who are bringing his word falsely in order to deceive and extort the people. They are shut up under a weight of lead in their sin. They cannot escape. They are bound to it. They are sealed under this sin and they are shut up under this curse as this woman is sealed in the ephah. Guilt upon these sinners will sit like a talent of lead, sinking them to the lowest hell. This is serious. This is wickedness. And the word for wickedness is resha, And it means wrong, faulty, morally wrong, morally wicked. Verse 9, Then lifted I up my eyes, and I looked, and behold, there came two women, and the wind was in their wings. For they had the wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. And the wind represents the power of the spirit world. And these 
wings, which are the wings of a stork, are the wings of an unclean bird. This system of wickedness that came forth falsely in order to deceive the people and extort money from the church is actually operated by evil spirits. These women represent the evil spirits that have come forth. And the word for stork in Hebrew is kasedah, and it means a kind of bird, a, a stork, an unclean bird. Verse 10. Well, let, let me go back, church. Where it talks about this woman in the ephah being lifted up between the earth and the heaven, this is a picture of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, where the leadership of the church pictures themselves above the people. The Lord uses mountains to describe this false system later in the scripture, in the prophetic writings, in Revelation, elsewhere in scripture. The Lord uses the word mountain, which is oros in the Greek, and it means to be lifted up above the plain. This false religious system has lifted itself up above the common people, as if they were holier they held a higher authority. They call themselves prophet. They call themselves bishop. They call themselves apostle. They call themselves pastor. And they love the greetings of honor in the marketplace. And they love the seats of honor in the synagogue. And they love the adulation and the glory and the praise of the people. And they are the same as the Pharisees of old. They're the same sons of the serpent. Only now they are the high priests of the modern-day false religious system of Babylon. And they've come in the name of the Lord. Jesus warned us, many will come in my name and deceive many. And they have deceived many. The vast majority of the church watches these men as they parade around on television and they parade their lascivious lifestyle and their $30,000 suits and their $5,000 pens and their, they fly in their private jets and they, they live luxuriously and lasciviously all the while taking the money from the people. They're extorting the people with the Word of God and yet they themselves are bringing the Word of God falsely. They come with a false anointing. They come with a false teaching and none of them know the lateness of the hour because they do not know the Lord. They're being animated by the demonic. In verse 10 we read, Then said I to the angel that talked with me, Where do they bear the ephah? Where's the ephah going? Because these, these two unclean birds, these women that were pictured representing the demonic power behind this false system of apostate Christianity, are now flying this thing to a new location and in verse 11 the angel said unto me to build it a house in the land of Shinar and it shall be established and set there upon her own base and Shinar is a, the name of the plains of Babylon this is the false religious system of Babylon they come with deception 
They come to steal the true word of God. They come to steal the money. They come to steal the glory that is only due the Lord. There's no man to be lifted up in this hour. We have all fallen to the ground. This is the generation of his wrath. This is the hour in which the scripture declares the best among them is a thorn hedge. This is a generation of evildoers, of apostasy, and of judgment. And this is a generation where the people of God are going to be cleansed in the fire. Because God is still faithful. And he's promised to save the ones that belong to him. But we grew up with such wickedness and deception all around us. I mean, who could know that you could go to church to a Christian youth concert and have some band stand up, and as soon as they start singing supposed worship, false worship, the sanctuary would fill with devils? That's 40, 30 plus years ago. Today you can go to these charismatic churches and and you can go to hear a prophet and you'll hear prophecy from devils. You can go for prayer and they'll lay hands on you and cast and, and transference of devils will occur. You can go That's through right. preaching and you're going to hear doctrines of devils. The church has been overrun in many, many places. There may be some remnant congregations out there, but for the most part the remnant has come out of the apostate churches entirely. Because this is wickedness. And they built a house in the land of Shinar and in the plains of Babylon. How did this happen? How did the mainstream Christian church become a complete apostasy? A den of evildoers, a den of thieves. How did God's house of prayer become a den of thieves? who were bringing the word of the Lord with falsehood, and who were stealing the truth from the people, and at the same time, stealing the money. Well, really, this is nothing new. 2,000 years ago, this was the condition of the religious leadership of Israel. And today, on the advent of the Second Coming, Shannon, this is the condition of the religious leadership of much of what calls itself the church. We have Christian pastors that are nationally recognized who have mega churches. They buy auditoriums. They buy stadiums where they pack 20,000 people in for a service that have stood up to pray a blessing upon homosexual elected officials, declaring that those people were raised up by God. Homosexuality is a sin. Anyone who's practicing it needs to repent. The Word of God is clear. A man of God, a true pastor who's serving the Lord, is not going to bless abominations. We've got pastors who are teaching Hinduism. They are teaching mysticism from the east they are bringing the kundalini spirit they are bringing these deceiving spirits from the east into the house of god and telling the people that it's righteousness there's a false anointing that swept through the church it 
began in a, in a city called Toronto with a guy who called himself the Holy Ghost Bartender. That should have tipped you off. God doesn't have a Holy Ghost bar. He has a Holy Ghost cross. Yes. It's not a party. It's a place of the death of the flesh, not a place for laughing. The scripture says laughter is in the house of fools. And these churches were filled with false laughter by the demonic power, and they became churches of fools. The scripture calls them the congregation of the dead. These are congregations of the dead. And they are dead. You know, brothers and sisters, the Lord is entering into judgment with his remnant right now. Judgment begins in the house of God. It has started with us. Some of you, no doubt, know what I'm talking about. Because you are personally experiencing the rod of correction and the discipline of the Lord. And given the lateness of the hour, the Lord is using a hard judgment. Oh, yeah. You know, when you've got a little child and you've got many years to raise him and he needs a little spanking, you give him a little tap. When you've got a child that should already know and you're running out of time, if you still need to correct him with the rod, it's going to be a good one. And that's this hour. If you're receiving the corrective judgment of God, you know what I'm talking about. It's probably the most severe correction of your life. And you should thank the Lord. You should rejoice and praise your Father for His faithful correction in your life. Because you need to understand, there are entire congregations of people who name the name of Jesus, who because of the totality of their wickedness and the absolute rebellion of their ways, the Lord has ceased from correcting them long ago. And he's turned them over. But if you're a true son or a daughter, he has continued his correction in your life. And though the discipline of the Lord may be grievous for the hour to endure, at the same time, it is a cause of rejoicing when you realize that the Father has his hand on you and his purposes are to bring you life. But in the congregation of the dead, the correction of the Lord is absent. And these people are being led down a path to destruction. But how did we get here? How in the world did the church embrace liars? How did the church receive people operating in the demonic and, and get fooled into thinking that it was the Holy Spirit? How could that happen? The process is, you know, this is astounding. I mean, people that once knew the Lord now following a devil... You know, King Saul at one point inquiring of the true prophets of God and then later in his life inquiring of a witch? You know, should not the living consult their God? And yet now we find the people of 
who call themselves Christians consulting the dead? How did this happen? Well, there are some pretty vivid pictures in Scripture. And uh, Brother Shannon, should we take a short break, and um, we'll come back with the book of Isaiah. We're going to start in chapter 1. Amen. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Omega Man Radio. We've got uh, Benjamin Brute on tonight. We're going through a study in the Word. We're talking about um, what is going on with the American church and where are we going. So we're going to be back after this uh, short break, and I want to remind people that we have our new stereo stream up and running, so if you'd like to listen to this in stereo FM quality, click on the link in the show notes, and uh, you'll really enjoy the improved sound quality. Well, we'll be back uh, right after this message. And, uh, again, I want to uh, thank everybody who tunes in here week after week. Our program is done nightly here on Omega Man Radio at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Sunday. And also, if you're going down the road and don't have access to the Internet, you can listen to uh, our program by uh, dialing us up on your cell phone. That's 917-889-2745. And anywhere you've got phone access, you can tune in. All right, we're going to this song break, and then we'll be back with Benjamin Brook. All right, and we're back with Omega Man Radio. This is a live broadcast tonight. It's uh, great to be here with you again. We've got uh, Benjamin Brook on tonight. He's bringing a study in the Word, and we're discussing what in the heck's going on with the American church. I'll tell you what's going on. Apostasy and the great falling away. I believe there's many who believe that they're saved, and uh, they're going to find themselves standing before Jesus Christ, actually laying prostate on the ground, screaming as he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. And he cast them into the lake of fire, meant for the devil and his angels. Folks, judgment does come first to the house of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner in the ungodly appear? We're seeing a sifting of the saints going on right now before our very eyes. And folks, we better wake up because time is short, as we're discussing tonight. I believe the great tribulation is about to fall upon us. And many are going to have their hearts fell them for the fear because they were not prepared to endure persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. I better get it back to Benjamin before I start preaching. <laughs> Let's get him back on the line. Stand by. Benjamin, are you back with us? I am. Hey, keep preaching, Brother Shannon. That was good. We we are in some serious dire straits. Uh, if you can't feel it out there, folks, in your spirit that something's wrong, you need a sanity check. You know, uh, the word said that they'll be eating and drinking and giving in marriage and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And Jesus reminded us of that. It's going to be just like that in the end times. Or what was the other parable, Benjamin, about the um, the group that the master went away to a faraway land? And he was gone a long time, and they uh, said, I guess he's not coming back. And what were they found doing when he came in and surprised them like a thief in the night? You know, they were, uh, they were partying. Uh, they were turning on their, their brethren. They were not doing what he told them to do, to occupy till he came. And then what did he do? He sorted it out, didn't he? <laughs> a lot of them were cast into outer darkness. So uh, we're, we're in some really terrible times right now. 
and I, I know there's some of you out there that are awake. You're here tonight for that reason, but there's a lot that um, have no idea what time it is. The enemy is at the gate, and uh, the watchman on the tower, he fell asleep drunk. Let me give it back to you, Benjamin. Well, it's a real blessing to be sharing the Word of God in this hour. And, you know, as we went to break, and uh, I just kind of reflected on in the first hour of the program, I thought, wow, I came on pretty strong. And, uh, you know, I maybe some of our listeners needed to hear a strong word, and maybe some were offended, and you know, I'm just trying to be faithful to the Word of God and faithful to the Lord. But, I, you know, i got to tell you guys, look at the reality. we got churches that are full of devils now. There are people who their hearts are turned and they... They go to seek the Lord, and they're walking into a cult. You know, there are entire denominations in this country that are satanic, counterfeits. That's right. One in particular that is so close to Satanism that the people that join the satanic church are told, you need to appear respectable. Why don't you go join this church? Because it's awfully close to full-on Satanism. And people are walking in there thinking they're seeking the Lord. People are going to to evangelical and, and charismatic churches seeking an anointing. And they're being given a kundalini spirit. This is outrageous. You know? And it's bringing devastation People are dying. People are having their lives destroyed. And really, it should get us all upset. But, you know, we live in a culture where you just got to be nice, you know. Got to be, don't be too upset. You know, yeah, I know everyone's going to hell. It's okay. Don't rock the boat, you know. Don't upset the masses walking down the wide road to destruction, but the Spirit of God would upset the masses. And the Lord isn't just going to rock the boat. He's getting ready to sink the boat called the USS Titanic America. This whole boat's sinking very, very soon. We can get into that later in the show or, or um, in a subsequent show, but let's talk a little bit about how did we get here. How did the church fall to this extent? How was this deception possible? Well, it comes from the compromise of God's people. The church let this happen. Slowly, piece by piece, inch by inch, the church gave up ground to the enemy. Remember I told you that in 1977, the Lord came to me and said, that he asked his church to pray yes. for babies. Babies that were being murdered. Look, I like babies. I really do. I love babies. 
you know, if you've got babies that you don't want, I'll take them. I want them. I'm serious. And, you know, orphanages are very much in my heart, and, and the little innocent babies are important. They're the most precious life on this planet. And the Amen. greatest sin you can commit is to kill and shed innocent blood. But Benjamin, I heard a statistic two or three days ago, how timely this program is. They said there's an estimated now 60 million babies that have been murdered in America alone. That's, that's one-fifth of our population, Benjamin. Well, I can tell you there will not be 70 million, ever, because the Lord is putting an end to this iniquity. This Holocaust is going to be stopped. And the blood of the offenders, and the blood of those who could care less, who were called to stand in the gap but were too busy, will be poured out in the streets in order to bring an end. America shed the blood of the innocents. Now the blood of the guilty will be poured out in its streets. But how did we, how did we get there? Well, at some point the church stopped praying. You know, I'm not talking about you're driving in your car, you know, oh, Lord, you know, help me. Don't let me get lost, Lord, you know, or, you know, something really bad happens. Oh, God, help me. That's not prayer, folks. I mean, I got nothing against talking to the Lord while you're driving in your car and talking to the Lord while you're taking your shower or talking to the Lord while you're doing something else. But talking to the Lord while you're doing something else is not praying and seeking his face with all of your attention and all of your heart. The church stopped praying. The church stopped setting aside time. The church stopped seeking the face of God. The church stopped honoring the word. The church stopped seeking his righteousness and seeking his kingdom. The church decided it wanted to enter into a peace treaty with the world. And it wanted to be a little bit like the world, just like I did when I was a kid. The church wanted to go to a frat party. The church wanted to touch the unclean thing a little bit and see what it was like. And this is where we ended up. The same thing happened in ancient Israel, and the prophet Isaiah addresses it. The Lord sent the prophet Isaiah to rebuke and correct the people. And uh, we'll start in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. And in this hour... The Spirit would say, I have nourished and built up a church, but it has rebelled and forsaken me. And that word for rebelled is pasha, and it means to trespass, to offend, to revolt, to apostatize, to break away, to walk away, to transgress, to rebel. The church decided it would no longer obey the Lord. The church wanted to do its own thing. still wanted to be the church. Just like ancient Israel, they still wanted to be Israel. We're the chosen of God already. Have Abraham as our father. They just did not want the Lord to rule over them. 
You know, today, the Lord is telling his people through the prophetic word, through the voice of the messenger sent in this hour, that God has commanded fasting and prayer among his remnant. And it's in the scripture. Search it out for yourself. Go read the book of Joel. The Lord repeats it over and over again. And we know we're in probably the most intense spiritual war of any time in history, and we know by the Spirit some things only get done by prayer and fasting. So we know that it's absolutely necessary for total victory, and we know that the prophets and the Spirit of the Lord has commanded it to this generation in this hour, and yet how many are obeying the commandment of the Lord? And how many are being like Israel of old, turning a dull ear, refusing to obey the Lord? The Lord commands fasting and prayer. He admonishes the people to gather in a solemn assembly. And what do I hear? Joy and gladness, the slaying of lambs, the eating of flesh, and the drinking of wine. For the most part, the people are not fasting and praying. For the most part, even the people that know the lateness of the hour are not obeying the Lord. Oh, they call his name. Oh, they honor him with their lips. Lord, Lord. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? And yet you do not obey my commandments. That's the condition of the church. That was the condition of ancient Israel. A sinful nation. Verse 4. A sinful nation. Boy, that fits. A people that are heavily laden with iniquity. The seed of evildoers. Children that are corruptors and have become corrupted. They have forsaken the Lord. And in so doing, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Isn't that a picture of America? A simulation. The people laden with iniquity, that word for laden means heavy burden. A heavy burden of iniquity. And the word for iniquity is avon. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Avon calling. Iniquity's calling. Uh, we want to paint your face like a harlot. What do you think? Man, wow. Sounds good. Sounds good to those women. Perversity. Moral evil. Isn't it ironic how some of these words in the Hebrew have a meaning in the English? I mean, it's just striking how many times a word in the Hebrew has a parallel word in the English language. Allah, you know, curse. That really tells you the story of people that are heavily burdened by iniquity, perversity, moral perversity. A moral breakdown. A seed of evildoers. 
the word for evildoers is ra'ah. means spoiled, literally by breaking into pieces. Good for nothing. It also means to show yourself friendly, yet to do harm, to hurt evildoers, broken into pieces. I wonder if that also speaks to the disassociation disorder that is so prevalent in modern, the modern people, in which they've actually bifurcated their personality. It's a defense mechanism as a result of trauma, where the human personality fragments and, and severe traumatic memories are repressed. And as a result of the repression, part of the personality fragments, and the people literally become broken into pieces. They don't either have the faith or they don't have the courage to take that broken part to the Lord and to confess it, to repent of it. And they can be the victim. But they've gone into denial. This disassociation, this brokenness can become so severe that the repression can be total and they cannot consciously recall the memory. These events can happen to people. They can repress it so totally they'll deny that it ever happened because they honestly don't remember. Because part of their soul is so fragmented, they cannot even connect to the part in which the memory resides. They are broken people broken into pieces. But because of that sin, that repressed wound, that becomes a gateway for the devil. It becomes a part of their heart that is now in darkness. And it will typically grow into a root of bitterness. You know, and that wounding, if it's not forgiven, if it's not cleansed through the blood of Jesus, not released through repentance and forgiveness. If you're the offender, repent. If you're the victim, forgive. But if you bury that thing, it's going to bring a crop later in life, and you're not going to like it. A seed of evildoers. Yet they show themselves friendly, but to do harm. Children that are corruptors, the word for corruptor is shakath, and it means to decay, to cause ruin, to mar, to perish, to be utterly wasted. Children of decay, children of ruin, children who are perishing, children that are wasted. And they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. The word for forsaken is azab, it means to relinquish, to fail, to forsake, to leave destitute, to refuse. They have failed the Lord. They have failed to forgive and they have failed to repent. They have forsaken the Lord. They have walked away from Him. They have left the Lord and in leaving they are destitute. They have refused the word of the Lord. They have rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. And in so doing they have provoked the Holy One. And the word for provoked is na'atz. It means to scorn, to abhor, to give occasion to blasphemy. 
to despise and to greatly provoke. They have forsaken the Lord, and they are scorning him. They abhor the Lord by their behavior. And in their rebellion, they give occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme the name of the Lord because they have despised the Lord in their behavior and their rebellion. And in so doing, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. And the word for anger in Hebrew is chazam. And it's as serious as it sounds. It means intense displeasure. It means rage. It's the fullness of the fury of the wrath of God. These corrupt and perverse evildoers that are good for nothing, children of decay, who are broken and who are faithless, who are disobedient and who have forsaken the Lord, have provoked the Holy One to anger, and they have gone away, backward. And the word for gone away is zoar. It means to turn aside, to become a foreigner, to become strange, to become profane, to commit adultery, to go away. The corrupt children that despise the Lord have become strangers in His land. They are no longer His people. Rather, they are profane, and they have gone away. And the word for backward, this is simply amazing. It is akhor, and it means the hindermost part, behind, that which is backward. It also translates as the west. To go backward is to go west. Well, if you go from Jerusalem and you travel west, if you go as far west as you can go, you go to California. California. The word Kali is the name of the Hindu god of death, and the word Fornia is fornication. This perversion, this decay, this ruin finds its fullness in the land of California, where all the pornea all of the pornography, all the wickedness out of the media, all of this had its manifestation in the highest degree at the furthest western point. Isn't that fascinating? Wow. Isaiah 1.5 Why should you be stricken anymore? Why should God judge you anymore? Why should God correct you with the rod on your back anymore? This is what the Lord is saying as he's turning the people over. Why should I strike you and correct you any longer? You will just revolt more and more for the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. And the word for stricken is to strike, to punish, to wound. Here the Lord is saying, I'm not going to visit this transgression with the rod any longer. I'm wasting my time. These people will only continue to revolt against me because their whole head is sick. They're sick in the head. And the word for sick means anxiety, grief. Their minds are full of anxiety. 
They're anxious. The scripture tells us, be anxious for nothing, but not these people. Their heads are sick. They're anxious. They're anxious about their job. They're anxious about their money. They're anxious about this and anxious about that. They covet this. They covet that. They're sick in the head. They're mentally ill. They've lost the way. And the whole heart is faint. And the word for faint is dave. It means sick and troubled, fainting. Their minds are full of anxiety and their hearts are full of trouble. And there's no end to their revolting from the Lord. And thus the Lord has turned them over. Verse 7, your country is desolate. As a result of the people being turned over, now the whole nation is falling. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it has become desolate as overthrown by strangers. The word for desolate is shamama. And it means devastation. Astonishment. To be laid most desolate, to be wasted. And isn't that a picture of America today? Your country is astonishing. Are you watching what's happening? I find it astonishing. You want to fly? You have to be sexually molested, or we're going to take a nude photograph of you. I wonder if they're, like, keeping the records so they can sure show, they you know, the, the pictures of the property to the new slave masters that are coming. Got to pay off this debt somehow. Maybe we'll sell a few people into slavery. This country is desolate. It's being wasted. It's being destroyed. Strangers are devouring the wealth of this country in your presence. This nation is being overthrown by strangers. And soon the cities are going to be burned with fire. Verse 9. Except the Lord of hosts has left unto us a very small remnant. A very small remnant. We would have been as Sodom and Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers, you leaders in the church, you men who presume yourself to be pastors and prophets and apostles and bishops who've appointed themselves positions in the kingdom of their imagination. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The word for very small is mayat, that it means a little or a few. Almost none. Very, very small. Unless the Lord of hosts left us a very small remnant. This whole nation would have been as Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the hour we live in, my friends. And the Lord has commanded prayer and fasting. What are we going to do? Are you going to just forget? You're going to be like the people of the past that 
when the word of the Lord, the seed is sown into your life, you're just going to let the birds pluck it up, carry it off into the land of Shinar. Are you going to be the children that rebel against the Lord, or are you going to obey the commandments of our God? The choice is yours. The choice is mine. You do what is right in your eyes. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. By his grace and his mercy. On that day, we'll stand. You know, and it's the irony, too, because the Lord has chosen the least He's chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. He's chosen that which is rejected of men. You know, it says that the chief cornerstone was rejected by the builders. And it is marvelous in the eyes of the Lord. Well, that chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Yes. And Jesus was rejected by the builders. But Jesus Christ is also the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And today, the church has also rejected the cornerstone, which is the Word of God. And they're following the imaginations of their own hearts. They're following the teachings of the demons speaking through the false prophets. And they're following a nation that has rebelled against the Lord. And they, they take comfort that they're not alone. They take comfort in the group. Many, many people on the road to destruction, and they all comfort each other. Everybody's here. You bet they are. There's only a very small remnant that's not even walking with you guys anymore. You know, let us know how it works out. But I'm not coming along. I'm not coming along. Brother Shannon, should we open this up for some call-ins, or should we keep going in the Scriptures? Well, I tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to announce the number, and uh, if you'd like to call tonight... We will take your call, and in between, we're going to continue in the Word. Uh, the number is 917-889-2745, or toll-free. You can call in at 877-806-2482. You know, Benjamin, when you were um, reading from the Word there, uh, a Scripture verse came to mind that I'll just throw in the pot here. Jeremiah 51 and 14, it says, uh, The Lord of hosts hath sworn by himself, saying, Surely I will fill thee with men, as with caterpillars, and they shall lift up a shout against thee. Brothers and sisters, that time's coming, too. Oh, yeah. Um, you know what's awesome, God, Shannon? If we yes. go over to the end of Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 16, the Lord starts pleading with the people, and he says, Wash yourself, make yourself clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppression of the poor. Judge for the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sin be as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. And though your garments be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So even at the point where the nation had completely fallen into apostasy, God sends Isaiah to confront the people in their sin, and the condition was as bad as it is today. Even in that final hour, the Spirit of the Lord who, who never 
gives up on his mercy, was crying out to the people, if you repent, if you wash yourself, if you put away the evil of your doings from before God's eyes, if you learn to do justice and righteousness, you can be healed. The gift of repentance can be granted unto you. And if you be willing and obedient, you will yet eat the good of the land. And I'll tell you, in this hour, and that's a scripture, that's a prophecy for this hour, that's something because we are about to have a famine. And yet in the midst of a famine, God's people that return to him in, with willing hearts and obedience will nevertheless eat the good of the land. But if you refuse the Lord, then the sword is coming relatively quickly. And, and that pretty much, it's almost upon us, folks. That sword's coming pretty quickly. And it's going to devour. It's going to devour. It's going to devour everything we've got. Um, you had a picture one time of what a, a remnant looks like. How many is that in a city? Well, the scripture says one from a city. Wow. Two from a family. That's in Jeremiah. But, you know, that that's more a picture. I don't think it's like, well, one person in the city of Boston repented, you know. Sorry, that's it, you know. No one else in Boston can repent. You know, the Lord, the Lord is judging our hearts. And it's just an hour to get as serious with God as you ever have. You know, do everything you can do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, you know, who knows if the Lord won't leave you a blessing and spare your life. But, you know, we're in the midst of the generation of his wrath. The scripture talks about this people as the generation of God's wrath. They were raised up as a vessel to be destroyed as a demonstration of the wrath of God. And, you know, if you think about it, it's absolutely righteous because God gave this generation more than any generation ever, more wealth, more freedom, more free time, more exposure to the Word of God. I mean, look at the technology on your desktop. All over the world, you can tune into the Word of God. You can, you've got the Scriptures. You've got the teaching of all the ancients is all on the Internet. I mean, you can search it out. You have the wealth of the kingdom at your fingertips. And yet, for the most part, the people of this hour will find themselves among the congregation of the dead. And so with God having given this generation unprecedented prosperity, unprecedented leisure time, unprecedented opportunity to receive the Word of God and to receive the fullness of His Word and, and the availability of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you'll just repent, the Lord will hear you. You know, God hasn't changed, but yet this generation will not. You know, the Lord asked the church 30-plus years ago to pray for babies that were being murdered. They were not interested. Today, God is asking the church to fast and pray for their own children that are about to be murdered, and most people still are not concerned. They mustn't either have heard the Lord, their ears must be deaf, or they don't believe the Lord. 
you know, I don't know what the problem is, but whatever it is, we better fix it. We better fix People it. People have itching ears. They're chasing after fables, just like the word says. And they they find themselves among the membership of a, a modern-day apostate church, which is not doing its job to warn people of the judgment that's fallen on this land. In fact, right. they say America is nowhere to be found in Bible prophecy. And by the way, you don't have to read Revelations because you're not going to be here. Yeah, that's right. the greatest disservice that anybody could ever do to those that are alive right now as we do this program. Sure. Because if people were offended at the, the truth of the word now, what happens when uh, persecution comes for calling yourself a Christian? Will you still say you're a Christian if it means losing your head, or will you run to the hills? As my oh, grandmother right. used to say, Benjamin, if the footmen were you, what happens when the horsemen come? Folks, we haven't seen the horsemen yet, but you can hear them coming down the highway. They're not that far down the road right now. No. And, you know, no, we've got it. every uh, thing possible at our disposal we have no excuse. I mean, we can carry the Word of God in our hands. They didn't even have the Word of God unless you were rich enough to have someone, you know, slaughter a whole host of sheep <laughs> or cattle, and you had a scribe, you know, put it on sheepskin. My point is, we've got the Word of God right now. There is no excuse. And then the question becomes, what are we doing with the time that we've got? You know, because we are going to give an accounting. Are we uh, going to Starbucks? Um, I love cappuccino. I don't kid you. <laughs> I got behind a car one day, and it was the longest wait. It must have been 20 minutes. I got up there, and I said, what took so long? And there's one lady who come through there and bought six cappuccinos. She was on her way to church. And, you know, they go to church. They have yoga. They have ballroom dancing. They do martial arts. They've got uh, no discernment. People are going up there. There's witches and warlocks infiltrating the church, laying hands on people, putting kundalini demons in them. And then you go and tell people, do you have the spirit of discernment? And they say, what are you talking about? I said, uh, doesn't the word say, be careful whom you let, you know, don't let any man suddenly lay hands on you. Excuse me. And I said, you know, there are people getting impartations of another spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. And then they'll throw you under the bus for that. Uh, I digress, but uh, I think this is important to mention. Benjamin, uh, you happened to go to a church one time to hear a speaker. Uh, do you remember the the time I'm talking about with the twirling? Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what you witnessed? Yep. Yeah, a couple of uh, women were sitting next to me, and I was in a church that was having this um, revival and it was the, the same revival that is in many charismatic churches, that Kundalini Spirit revival. And, and I actually went there to kind of protect a couple of young believers. And and um, I was talking before the thing started to two women sitting next to me. And they announced themselves as Mormon witches. <laughs> Serious. God, and at mercy. one point they're like, well, you're no brother of ours, because we got into a little disagreement, you know. I said, well, that's correct. You know, I'm certainly not your brother, and you are not my sister. You know? and, uh, but during this 
revival as this um, spirit began to manifest, these two women went forward, one on the right side and one on the left, and they began to hold their hands out, and they began to spin in circles, and, and I could discern they were channeling the demonic power into the room that was manifesting in the people. And, um, you know, the, uh, you know, if you're not going to serve the Lord, you're going to serve another. Well, it's out there. Lord, it... Go ahead. Go ahead, Shannon. No, I, uh, I agree with you. I mean, uh, people have no discernment. Um... None whatsoever. Well, we, you know, we have all fallen to the ground. The best of them is a thorn hedge right now. Yes. That's, that's kind of a picture of how bad it is. And, you know, in the book of Revelation, Jesus shows us a picture of himself standing among seven lampstands, the seven candlesticks and seven stars, which were the seven churches of the book of Revelation. And the Lord was holding the light in those churches. And in Isaiah, I just jump ahead here in, in um, the last few minutes. Um, in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1, we read, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread, and will wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. And that's a picture of the apostate churches. They are the seven women. Used to be seven candlesticks, seven stars in, in the hand of Jesus Christ. Now they're seven adulterous women. The word for, for women in that verse is Isha. And it's the word woman in the irregular plural context or tense. And that means it translates into multiple different types of women. It translates into an adulteress. It translates into a wife. It translates into woman. It's a mixed multitude of women that are irregular and it includes the unclean. Seven unclean women shall take hold, shall try to hold on to one man, and they're going to say, we'll eat our own bread. We don't want your living manna from heaven. We'll make our own bread, thank you. And we'll wear our own apparel. We don't want your robes of righteousness. We don't want to walk in righteousness. We'll wear our own garments of harlotry, thank you. We'll eat our own bread. We'll even bring our own cappuccino. We just want to be called by your name. We just want to say, Lord, Lord. Because we want to pretend that just simply calling on your name is enough to take away our reproach. We don't need the garments of righteousness to sneak into the wedding feast. We can show up there dressed for Saturday night out at the bar scene and the club scene. Oh, I mean church. That's how these harlot women behave. They, they dress for church like they're going out to the harlot establishments. Even though the scripture is abundantly clear, women ought not dress like harlots at church. As if God would even need to tell us that, you know. <laughs> 
that should have been like so obvious that the Lord didn't even need to mention it, but he does, so obviously some of the women are pretty dense. You ought not dress like a harlot when you show up at church, ladies. And you, if unless you have you a want daughter, to your brethren, unless you want to anger the Lord, then show Amen. up with a you know with a cappuccino too. Why not? You'll find yourself in one of the congregations of the dead, most likely, though. But brother, I've been in the churches, name, brother, and I've uh, been on a pew, and standing right in front of me was some teenage daughter with the midriff showing, like Britney Spears. Folks, this should not be. No, it's. Outrageous. I mean, uh, it, it, when, you know, I've been into some churches where they go in with flip-flops and shorts. Now, I'm not talking people who don't have any better, okay? I'm talking about people who have no respect for the house of God. Now, if all I've got is a clean T-shirt and a pair of jeans, God will accept me like that. But uh, what, what happened to the church, Bill? People going in in flip-flops, shorts, you've got the pastor with a pair of jeans and a hole? In his uh, knee? They don't and I'm talking about prosperous churches. This isn't uh, the hills of Kentucky, folks. I, I'm sorry for getting a little bit riled up, but, uh, you know, the word says over Matthew 5.13, it says, you're the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its savor. Wherewith shall it be salted? It's henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. And I'm here to tell you, this American church is about to get trodden under the foot of some invading armies. Why don't we go to some phone calls here, Benjamin? All right, brother. If you want to uh, call in and talk to Benjamin Brook, the number tonight is 917-889-2745. Let's go to 831 area code. You're on the air with Benjamin. <clears throat> Hi, Benjamin. Hi, Shannon. Hey, there. Hey. Um, I think I recognize. Um, is this Peter? No, I'm not Peter. Uh, my name is Fernando. I'm from California. Okay. Oh, Fernando. Hello. Welcome to the program. Uh, you're on the air with Benjamin Brook. Yeah, I just wanted to say hi, and um, I'm, just, I'm just blessed for the Lord to uh, direct me to you guys, or else I would have been, I feel like I would have been lost. Um, well, and, uh... So is it true uh, what you said earlier about in California that it means a Hindu goddess of death and fornia means fornification? I've read that. Um, that spirit is certainly manifesting in parts of California. If you look at most of the the capital of pornography for not only America but for the whole world is California. Most of the secular entertainment, right. which is really false worship, came out of Hollywood. So, you know, yeah, I mean, there's obviously some serious, some serious stuff. And, you know, at the same time where sin abounds, grace abounds more, there are a lot of believers in California. And um, I actually lived uh, a number of years in California myself. So, um, but I just find it interesting that that the West is is actually mentioned in Scripture as the people going backward. The word for backward is could translate the West. The people have gone to the West Coast. You know, you, people used to joke if you turn the com country on its edge, you know, all the fruits and nuts would roll to California um, because California's culture was pretty liberal. You know, long before the country 
lost its sense of shame. California lost any sense of shame. Well, you know, I'll add on to that, uh, Benjamin. Uh, you know, there has been um, some movies made by that same name. Even a uh, famous rock band wrote a song called Californication, and they spelled it with a K, K-A-L-I, you know, the right, the Hindu god, and then fornication. That's what it is. Hollywood, in fact, uh, comes from the name of um, the wood that they would use to make magician wands. Go figure that. Well, sure. And both the Hollywood music and, and the movie industry are heavily infiltrated by the satanic church. But, you know, this whole country is part of Mystery Babylon now, Fernando, so... Right. Um, I wouldn't feel bad, you know. Um, it's all going to burn together, brother. And it's burning relatively so basically, So basically, we just got to uh, search uh, Jesus and God, right, and re read the scriptures and pray daily and do spiritual Amen. warfare. And that's it, you know, just wait. And wait don't for forget, return. Dan, don't forget worship. Because worship is powerful. You know, the Lord says he inhabits the worship and the praises of his people. So, you know, set aside time. You know, set aside a block of time during the day to get before the Lord. You know, find some good worship music. Not this false stuff, not this satanic counterfeit that's really, you know, the spirit of rock and roll, which is the spirit of rebellion that, that's come into a lot of the churches, but real worship, like the Julie True song that uh, Shannon played at the break, you know, anointed worship, and get into prayer, get into, you know, praise and worship before the Lord, get into the scriptures, and spend time with the Lord every single day, absolutely. And, you know, set aside a regiment of fasting on some basis, and we'll pray about it, what works for you in terms of what you're capable of, but everybody should be fasting now as well, you know, on some um, basis. Fasting as, in, fa um, fasting as in, like, prayer? No, fasting um, as in not eating, um, taking a period of time, maybe from a, a day to, to perhaps even longer, um, to sanctify your time, you know, turning off the entertainment, uh, spending the time to seek the Lord in the Scriptures, in prayer, in praise and worship, and fasting from food. You know, Jesus, before he began his ministry, fasted for 40 days. And if Jesus needed to fast in order to basically put his flesh to death, and he was God, then, you know, the servants definitely need to fast. And the Scripture is real clear in this hour that we all need to be fasting and praying. Amen. Um, when you still have, have um, go ahead, caller. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. You just go ahead. You beat me to it, but go ahead. No, simply to make the comment that look, if uh, you're alive right now and listen to this program, that means you still got breath in your lungs. My father was fond of saying before he died, "Where there is breath, there's hope." We still have an opportunity to make a decision for Christ in this relative calm before the storm, if you want to call it that. Although, you know, we, uh, I know, Benjamin, uh, you come from a financial background. For the conclusion of the show, I want you to talk about where we're headed uh, on the financial market. But, um, again, we don't have uh, foreign troops at our front door. Not yet. You know, lining people up to make the decision. Are you going to get on the FEMA bus or are you going to take the mark of the beast? That day, I believe, is coming. But my point here is we still have an opportunity to do something, and uh, 
you know, God is sifting the saints right now. For too long, the American church has straddled the fence. It's a dangerous place to be right now because that fence just got jacked up to about 100 feet in the air. Better get, get on one side or the other before you dash to pieces is my point. God would rather you be hot or cold, but if you're in the middle ground, you're not good for anything, and God will spit you out of his mouth. He'll spit me out of his mouth. It's only by the grace of God that uh, I'm still here today. Because I, you know, I've, I've lived as bad as anybody, but I thank God for his mercy and his grace, and he's given me a second chance like he's given many of you out there. But what are we going to do with the time that we've got remaining? Are we going to go back to sleep, or are we going to say, God, I, I need to get prepared to endure till the end. I don't want my heart to faint when these things come on us, because if you're not prepared, you will be offended when the persecution comes and it says there's going to be a great falling away. And I want you to address the great falling away tonight, Benjamin. Uh, Caller, you had another question. Yes. Um, so many are going to die as martyrs, right? Yeah, there definitely um, will be martyrs. Yes. And then that's through the FEMA camps with the uh, guillotines, right? They'll get their heads cut off for not uh, for uh, um, the, uh, you know, the that, Lord as their Lord and Savior. And I don't have information at that level of detail, but there's definitely going to be um, martyrs among God's faithful ones. But you're faithful unto death, and you receive the crown of life. And you know, we Jesus told us. If you seek to save your life in this hour, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, then the same will save it. So we really need to focus on sanctifying our life for God, coming out from among the corrupt system of Babylon, touch no longer touch the unclean things, putting away the sins of this generation, you know, putting them out of our life and seeking the Lord with all of our hearts. And then let the Lord lead. You know, it's all about abiding in the Holy Spirit now. It's just you've got to find the Lord. There, You know, you, you don't want to find one of these false churches where what's really happening is a, a demonic spirit is masquerading as the Spirit of God. You don't want to go there. That's not good. You want to find the Lord, and then whatever the Lord leads you to do, you know, that's really the key. I mean, you could save your life in the flesh and lose your life in eternity. Or you could save your life in Jesus. And it, You know, if you're walking with the Lord, you're walking in the Holy Spirit, you've received the peace that passes understanding, you've got the joy of your salvation, which is your strength. If if you're required to then lay your life down as a martyr, you're not going to go alone because the Lord won't leave you or forsake you. you you'll be all right. You'll be fine. And you're not going to stay dead very long. And when you get raised from the dead, you know, it'll be good. And um, it'll be better than we've ever seen. And then we're coming back with the Lord. Yeah, so much death, man. You know, so... It's not about trying to save our flesh at this point. You know, the flesh thing is over, people. That's one of the reasons the fasting is so important, because, you know, that's how we're going to, you know, lay our flesh down. I mean, when you choose to fast, you are actually bringing judgment on your flesh, yourself. And 
that judgment is a form of purging and and it breaks spiritual strongholds of the enemy and it sets you free so um it's you know a pretty wise thing to do in this hour thank you caller let's go to our next uh, caller from 785 erie code 785 you're on the air with benjamin brooke uh good evening shannon good evening benjamin uh this is joseph um hey, benjamin joseph. i i wanted to know where do you think we are in the book of revelations right now Hey, that is a great question, uh, and I don't know, but I'll tell you where we are in the timeline. And the, and the reason why I don't know where we are in the book of Revelation is I personally believe, and I believe this very strongly, that the book of Revelation is not chronological. I don't believe that every chapter happens chronologically in time. I believe the book of Revelation is a bunch of perceptions. Now, some of it is chronological, but not all of it. And so, um, you know, for that reason, I don't know that you could necessarily put us at a particular chapter. Um, and then, going further, you know, there's a lot of misconception on prophecy because uh, the books have been sealed for most of our lives and only recently unsealed. And so... You know, a lot of us who've studied prophecy for years have written a lot of, we've read a lot of books written by men who didn't know what they were talking about. You know, they were trying to read a sealed book, and they gave it their best shot, but they didn't get it right. So there's a lot of preconceptions that are wrong, uh, one of which is some people believe that everything in the book of Revelation is going to take place during the Great Tribulation. That may be true. That may not be true. The Great Tribulation is a three-and-a-half-year period that occurs at the very end. I personally believe some of the things in the book of Revelation are going to take place before the Great Tribulation, such as the breaking of the seals. And, you know, um, I think we are probably in the midst of the breaking of the seals, would be my, my guess. Um, but I can tell you where I think we are in terms of the timing, which I think is maybe more important. And it is my opinion, and this is not a prophecy, it's not a thus saith the Lord. It's just my understanding and my insight, and so it could be wrong, okay? And I don't declare myself to be a prophet, and just because I heard from the Lord and I can repeat what God said, I don't think that makes me a prophet either. Um, you know, King Saul prophesied he was never a prophet. There was a donkey that spoke the word of the Lord, um, I don't think the donkey was a prophet. And, um, you know, and I don't think I'm a donkey either. <laughs> At least not all the time. Um, that was Balaam's ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, we have these rigid mindsets where we get so convinced of something. You know, I've had people argue with me, you know, Benjamin, of course you're a prophet. No, I'm not. Don't you think I would know? I'm not. I'm a watchman. I'm a scribe, actually. I wrote down the prophecy. I can read it to you. The prophet is Jesus Christ. He is the true prophet. And I merely wrote down what he prophesied. And I'm merely reading what the prophet said. I'm like Baruch to the prophet Jeremiah. Actually, I'm a descendant of Baruch, if you can receive it. And it's the family business to record the words of the true prophets of God and to uh, read them to the people. And so I'm just doing the ministry that the Lord has appointed to my family 
from a very long time ago, and I'm honored to be um, operating in the family ministry by the grace of God. Now, where are we in the timeline? Um, we could probably do a whole show on that, but I'll try to break this down for you in a way that makes sense. Uh, first of all, let's go to Daniel, chapter 9, because the, the key to the timing is in the book of Daniel. And, and the, the key is within the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Daniel 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city. That's the key, the holy city. To finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, sealing up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That's another key part, friends. Underline or highlight that, anoint the most holy. That's very important and not very understood. No one... And therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, okay, and sixty-two weeks. The streets shall be built, the wall, even in troublous times. Okay, two time periods, seven and sixty-two, but we're told there's seventy, so there's one more week, the seventieth week. After the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be killed, but not for himself. Okay, that happened 2,000 years ago. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolation is determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with the many for one week, for seven years. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate. Even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Okay. Seventy weeks. We know from the Hebrew that the word for weeks is actually sevens. And it actually means seventy sevens. And it's referring to seven-year periods. There are 77-year periods, or a total of 490 years. And within that, everything will be completed. And we're given the timing for the appearing of the Messiah. We're told that from the commandment to build Jerusalem until the Messiah comes as prince, there shall be seven weeks, which is 49 years. And also, there shall be 62 weeks. And after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will die, but not for himself. All right. Sir Isaac Newton, who was a believer and perhaps the most brilliant man to ever live, studied this prophecy his entire life. He actually went and learned ten lost languages so that he could read books from antiquity to try to understand the timing of this prophecy. And, and based on his study... He uncovered and, I believe, properly, properly um, interpreted the prophecy. The 62 weeks was the period of time from the commandment of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, who gave Nehemiah the orders and the authority to return to Jerusalem and to begin rebuilding the city. From the commandment of Artaxerxes, if you count the 62 weeks, 
and each of those is a seven-year period. And under the Hebrew calendar, every 49 years you mark a Jubilee year, which is the 50th year. So you have to insert the Jubilee years into this counting. You will get from Artaxerxes' commandments to the birth of Jesus Christ. And after that was his ministry. And then he died for the people. Now, the seven weeks, the 49 years, represents the time period for the second coming. Okay? At the time of the end, Israel and Judah were going to be regathered into the land, and the nation of Israel would be restored again after 2,000 years of desolation. God was going to miraculously bring his people back to their land, and he was going to restore the nation of Israel. And he did it in 1948. And... The Knesset, in 1950, passed a law declaring Jerusalem, which is the holy city, to be the eternal capital of the Jewish state, and to commission the rebuilding and the restoration of Jerusalem. But here's the key to this prophecy. The holy city is the old city today. What the scripture calls the holy city, we refer to as the old city. Not the suburbs of western Judea, but actual, the actual ancient city that was within the old walls. The old city was under Jordanian control until 1967. All right? The Six-Day War. The Six-Day War, exactly. So when Israel conquered the West Bank and recaptured the Holy City, at that point, the legal action of the Knesset had actual legal standing in the Holy City. So now, for the first time, the commandment had legal authority. The command to rebuild Jerusalem as the Holy City and the capital of Israel was legally activated in 1967. From there, we count 49 years. We get the year 2016. That is the start of the Great Tribulation. Now, why do I think it's the start of the Great Tribulation and not the Second Coming? Because that's when you're going to see Messiah the Prince come. Okay? Now, if you go to the book of Revelation and you look in the the end of the book, there's the picture of Jesus Christ coming as the king. The literal second coming at the end of the Great Tribulation, actually, it's after the tribulation of those days, about a month after. On his robe, it's written on one side, King of Kings. And on the other side, it says, Lord of Lords. Nowhere does he wear the title of prince? He is not a prince any longer. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Well, who's Messiah the Prince? Well, that's something that very few people can comprehend, and because it hasn't been revealed until just recently, and a lot of people gnash their teeth at the revelation of scripture here because 
It doesn't fit their own personal eschatology. So, um, you know, if you want to gnash your teeth, um, chew on the word, don't chew on me. But the Messiah, the Prince, is the revealing of Jesus Christ at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. What do you mean, Benjamin? I'm talking about the account in Luke 17, where Jesus said, When you see the Son of Man revealed, on the day when the Son of Man is revealed, don't even go back into your house. Him that's in the field, don't even turn back. You know, remember Lot's wife. Run. Well, in Matthew 24, the Lord says, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that's Daniel 9.27, what we're talking about. Let him who's on his roof, don't even go back into your house, run. Those are the exact same event. So in Matthew, Jesus is telling us, you're going to see the abomination that makes desolate. You're going to see the event that takes place at the midpoint of the final seven years of human history, which is the kickoff for the Great Tribulation, the final three and a half years. In Luke, the Lord tells us, you're also going to see the Son of Man revealed. That Son of Man that gets revealed is Messiah, the Prince. Now, who is that? Well, let's let the Scripture tell us. Let's go to Malachi. And you'll see this is right in the Word, friends. It's actually totally awesome. Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Just as John the Baptist was sent before Jesus came as the suffering servant, so another messenger is about to be sent before Jesus comes as King of Kings. He shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Which temple? Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. The Lord will suddenly come into his temple, the messenger. That is Messiah the Prince. You see, back in Daniel, we are told in the, in the meaning of the 70th week that he shall confirm the covenant with the many for seven years. Now, scholars have debated, who is the he? Who are we talking about here? He shall confirm the covenant. The modern teachers all teach that this is the Antichrist who confirms the covenant with the many, the false peace treaty, the covenant with death that Isaiah refers to in Isaiah chapter 28, which Satan tricked Israel into entering into, in which they signed a peace treaty with their enemies. And the word for many in the Hebrew is La Rabim. And the man that signed the peace treaty is Yitzhak Rabim. And the Antichrist will indeed confirm this false covenant for seven years. But this scripture is actually fulfilled twice. Remember I told you early that the word of God is not perceived by men because when the Lord speaks, he speaks twice. That is in Job. That scripture is in the book of Job, and um, 
you know, we can look it up if you want, but this scripture here is fulfilled twice. The he that this is referring to is the true Messiah. Jesus Christ shall confirm the covenant that his father made with his people, with Abraham, and with Isaac and Jacob, and with King David, and with many sons and daughters who were the true seed of spiritual Israel, the elect, the chosen of God. The ministry of Jesus Christ is to confirm this covenant. And in confirming the covenant, he is going to fulfill all of the components of the covenant. And the word for confirm means to, it is gabar, and it means to be strong, to prevail, to confirm, to prevail, to strengthen, to fulfill. It is the work of Messiah to perform the covenant. It's the work of Messiah to complete the covenant. And the covenant includes your salvation and your deliverance. Jesus Christ has a seven-year ministry on this earth. The Lord spoke this to me before I ever saw this in Scripture. I was actually washing my dishes, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I have a seven-year ministry upon the earth, and I'm half finished. And I went, wow. I never heard that anywhere before. His first well, coming. The first coming was three and a half years. Jesus Christ came as God in the form of man, and he ministered as the Messiah, bringing salvation and bringing healing. And he came as the Lamb of God who laid down his life for the sins of his people. And then he rose from the dead, victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And he ascended on high, and he's seated today above all power and authority as the supreme king of the universe. But he's not done. He's only half finished. He's got another three-and-a-half-year ministry to complete. That's what Jesus was referring to in Luke 17 when he said, when you see the Son of Man revealed, he's going to reveal himself again in his people. If you can receive it, Jesus Christ is going to be born again. That's right. Jesus gets born again into this earth. Now, the first time the Lord came, he came by being born into the earth. And it was a supernatural birth because a virgin was with a child. And the Holy Spirit came, and God the Father Almighty caused a virgin to conceive a son who was the Son of God, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is forever blessed. And he took on the cloak of humanity. He took on all of our weaknesses. He took on all of our humanity. Yet he himself was God. The spirit that was in Jesus Christ when he was born into this world was the spirit man, the Son of God Almighty Jesus Christ, who existed from eternity, only took on humanity walked among us as a man, did everything by faith through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. He did it all as a man. He did it all as faith, with faith. And then, at the end of his three-and-a-half-year ministry, he laid his life down. Okay? And then, 
in the midst of his seven-year ministry, after he laid his life down, they dis- the Romans came and destroyed the temple, and they stopped the daily sacrifice. Now, it happened 40 years later, I understand, but it happened after the first half of his ministry. Now, at the time of the end, Jesus Christ is ready to fulfill the second half of his ministry. And now, as it says in Malachi, he is going to suddenly come to the temple that he made without hands, which is his messenger of the covenant, which, if you can receive it, is the spirit of Elijah for this hour, that comes into the messengers that the Lord has prepared. Only it's not just one guy this time. This time, the Lord is sending 12,000 of them from each of the 12 tribes. Hallelujah. God has an army coming, which is actually the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, filling a holy remnant that are going to be the weapons of his indignation. No, they are not coming as Billy Graham's people. Isaiah 13 tells us they're his mighty ones. He says, I called my mighty ones for my anger, even the weapons of my indignation. And they come from the end of heaven, even the Lord. In case you can't figure out who comes from heaven, it's the Lord. These mighty ones, these messengers, who are the temple that the Lord has prepared for himself, the Lord is going to come into them through the Holy Spirit. And these men are going to become born again, totally. The scriptures where we read that I've died, I no longer live, but now Christ lives in me, those are doctrinal scriptures today to the church, but most Christians have never experienced that reality. That's just something we apprehend by faith. These men are going to experience it. Even as Jesus said to the disciples when they asked him, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, how long have you been with me? Do you not know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? These messengers, when the Lord comes into his temple, these men are going to be so transformed by the Holy Spirit that it's going to be Jesus Christ being born again through the Holy Spirit, walking in the earth. And they're going to be able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the actions of Jesus Christ. They're not the Lord. They're just his princes. We were called to be a kingdom of priests and princes, walking in his power. And so the Lord is going to come as the lion from Judah. And he's coming as the mighty deliverer. And he's coming in the messenger. And he's coming to fulfill his seven-year ministry. Only he's doing the second half as God. He did the first half himself as a man. He'll do the second half as God. Now, not everybody's going to like this. For some reason, the Word of God gets people angry, particularly if they didn't perceive it previously. But I would suggest to those of you that maybe are objecting strongly to what I'm sharing, that you hold your anger, lest you find yourselves in the congregation of that church in Nazareth that gnashed their teeth at the Lord when he told them truth, and uh, pray about it, you know, and really search it out in the scriptures, because it's all over the word, folks, that the Lord comes in us. I mean, do, do you not realize that when you get completely transformed 
in the resurrection, that you are actually raised in his image, that God actually intends to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ, that's what Amen. you're going to be one day. Well, God's going to do it first in the lives of the 144,000 at the very end of the age. Now, recognize, at the same time, Lucifer has entered into the body of the Antichrist. So Satan himself is actually physically walking the earth in the body of a man. Okay, that's going to be horrible. But where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Jesus Christ is going to meet him toe-to-toe. And the odds, I mean, you know, it's 144,000 to one, folks. And the 144,000 have God with them. And the one is just a fallen angel who's running scared because he knows his time is short. So, anyway, um, the 49 years takes us to the revelation of the Son of Man, which is the beginning of the ministry of the man-child, when Messiah the Prince is revealed, which is the beginning of the final three-and-a-half-year tribulation. Okay? Okay? So, if that's the beginning of the Great Tribulation, which is the spring, March, around the equinox, which would be around March 20th, 21st, approximately. Yeah. Right around that day, you're going to see the Great Tribulation begin. So that means that the Antichrist, who also confirms a covenant, he counterfeits the work of the true Messiah by confirming the covenant of death that his father tricked Israel into signing, which was made in the flesh. He confirms that also for seven years. That confirmation of that covenant must take place in the fall of 2012 which would mean we are two years, less than two years away from the rise of the one world government and the new world order. And based on my understanding of Scripture, that means we are going to see the financial collapse and then the ultimate judgment in World War III come upon the United States of America in the next two years. Now, could I be wrong? Yes, of course. But it doesn't look like it. So take an educated guess... Benjamin, where do you put the uh, the sounding of the, uh, the last trumpet at? Well, the last or, trumpet's at the end of the tribulation. After the tribulation, it, it would be in 2019 sometime during the fall, the high holy days of fall. And I don't know the day or the hour, and even if we see the abomination in, in March of 2016, once the great tribulation starts, you can count three and a half years and figure out when it ends. You still won't know the day or the hour because... The second coming is after the final month of Elul, which is the month of repentance. And for those that have been left alive through the Great Tribulation, God, who's so rich in his mercy, gives the earth one more month for people to repent. And then during the High Holy Days, probably during the Feast of Tabernacles, which lasts seven days, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens. And then you'll know, okay, we're down to days, folks. But we still won't know the day or the hour. Now, if the Lord tarries until the seventh day of tabernacles, and, it's, and in fact he does return during tabernacles, then you'll be able to rule out the day thing, and you still won't know the hour. So but Jesus I, I'm came not saying day or hour here. And, and for those of you that are objecting to any knowledge about the timing of things in the future, when the Lord said you won't know the day or the hour, that was a Hebrew idiom that meant 
it's going to take place during one of the high holy days, and you won't know precisely until it happens. He didn't mean you won't know anything about anything. I mean, we were commanded to watch these prophecies. Jesus told all of us, go and learn the message of a fig tree, the parable of a fig tree. Now, the Lord taught many parables, 40 of which are recorded in Scripture. 40 parables. Only one of them was given as a homework assignment. How many of you did your homework? I would venture to guess the answer is zero. Nobody did this homework assignment. But the parable of the fig trees, the parable of Israel, it has to do with the restoration of the nation of Israel and the sign of the second coming and the time, the season, the generation that would see the fulfillment of these things. And we are that generation. And, you know, my understanding is that we're going to see all this wrapped up this decade. But we'll find out, right? Absolutely. Does that your question, caller? Um, uh, I, it's my perception uh, that we're right now we're in the birth pains. What do you think on that? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I think we're in the birth pains, and I think they're getting intense. Well, absolutely. for a while. But uh, remember, uh, if you're looking at the, the birth pains and, you know, the earthquakes in diverse places and uh, wars and rumors of wars, don't forget Matthew 24, 9. It says, you know, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. That's going to be a rude awakening to much of the mainstream American church who believe they'd be caught into heaven with the Starbucks cup in their hand. Shannon, that's what's next. The worldwide persecution of the church is the next event, and it's probably going to begin later this year when the financial system collapses and the country goes into chaos. And and, and I'd like to share just a little bit on uh, the financial scene, if we can. Uh, The following is a quote. The following is a quote from a high-level IMF official, and this is very recent. The dollar is going to crash and is finished as the world's reserve currency. The U.S. dollar-based monetary system can no longer sustain itself. The eurozone is going to collapse first. People at the highest levels are all watching the euro right now. All eyes are on Europe. When the euro collapses, the crisis will quickly spread to the dollar. When that happens, the dollar will be finished. The world is about to enter a time of great darkness. We are about to experience unimaginable hard times. And the average man on the street is going to be hit extremely hard. The world's financial system is no longer built upon a foundation that is salvageable. Therefore, the foundation of the present monetary system has to be changed. It has to be rebuilt. Therefore, the present foundation of the dollar is over, and the world leaders are all working actively, creating a new foundation. A one-world currency is in the making as we speak right now. A second high-level source within our own administration said the following. High-level meetings have been occurring over the last 18 months regarding 
transition of the world to a new global reserve currency to replace the U.S. dollar. A super devaluation of the dollar is being planned and will be announced before the end of summer 2011. The trigger for the devaluation will be the transition of the world's oil market from payment in dollars to a new global currency. Following this change in oil settlement, a super devaluation of the U.S. dollar will occur between 50 and 70 percent, and it will bury the American middle class. Get out of debt now. A super depression is around the corner. Further sources have confirmed the following. Plans are underway within the United Nations to change the world's financial system in 2011. With the ultimate goal of bringing a new world order, global government to power in 2012. That was exactly the timeline that I tried to walk us through. World government by the end of 2012, a seven-year confirmation of this false treaty, the false covenant, and then the midst of that period, the Great Tribulation beginning in 2016. But this source goes on and says, world food shortages loom in the near future. Global food production is being disrupted by the growing climate change, and massive food inflation is coming later this year. The U.S. dollar crisis is planned for this summer. A time of lamentation is coming to America. It is vitally important to get out of debt. The rug is going to be pulled out from under the dollar. The world has already made the decision to abandon the dollar. And then I added one scripture from Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 and 3. The Lord has a charge to bring against you, you inhabitants who live in this land, because there is no faithfulness and no love and no acknowledgement of God in the land. Therefore the land mourns, and all who live in it shall waste away, and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea shall die. And that's exactly what's happening right now. The birds are dying, the fish are dying. And, you know, Shannon, if you want, I can go through some of the detailed financial reports that we've got that have come out of some of these think tanks. You know, I am a finance guy. I do... uh I do work in this area, um, so I spend, you know, my my business is to watch the economy and to study this stuff, and and so I get a lot of information. Now I can tell you the leading experts, not the, I'm not talking about the propaganda, folks. I'm not talking about the liars that are put on TV. I'm not talking about the talking heads on the so-called business news that everybody watches. You know, mad money and all this nonsense. You know, the insane money shows. And all that is an infomercial to get you to put your money into the beast system. I'm talking about the real experts who tell the truth, who are not being paid and not compromised. They are calling 2011 the unforgiving year. A world at the crossroads of chaos is the title of the latest report, which just came out uh, January 15th, a couple days ago. And they're forecasting a fall of the dollar wall, much like a collapse of the Berlin Wall. 
that this is going to be the pivotal year in the world's financial crisis that started in 2008. And they're saying that this year will be marked by a series of violent shocks that will expose and explode the false protections that were put in place to prop up the system since 2008. And that these shocks are going to knock down one by one the pillars on which the U.S. dollar wall rests. 2011 will be the most chaotic year yet. An international system is so dilapidated. The international financial system is so stretched to the extreme that its cohesion is all but exhausted. The international system is no longer capable of handling any large-scale disaster. Look at the inability of the international community to help Haiti over the past year, or the U.S. ability to rebuild New Orleans, or the U.N.'s ability to solve the problems in Darfur, or the Ivory Coast, or the U.S. ability to advance the Mideast peace process, or NATO's ability to fight the Taliban in Afghanistan, or the Security Council's ability to control the Korean or the Iranian crises, or the West's ability to stabilize Lebanon, or G20 and their ability to stop the global financial crisis in food, the economy, and social and monetary order, or the whole range of climate disasters and humanitarian crises that are all economic and social disasters. It is now becoming clear that the international system is powerless and it is on the verge of collapse. The current world order is ready to collapse. According to one of the think tanks that I actually believe is perhaps the most accurate, this is a group of 25 experts who are just looking at the math. They're running the numbers. They're looking at the facts. In their view, the world has begun to play Russian roulette this year. Only it's a 2011 version of the game, and it should be ap actually described as American roulette where there are five bullets in the gun it doesn't matter which chamber you spin it to first time you pull the trigger you're going to be dead this is over this whole system's going to collapse they say that uh, in 2008 during the first wave of the financial crisis the biggest players fled the mortgage market and everything that depended on it now the big money is running from all financial stocks and U.S. Treasury debt, along with all other public debt. They expect that between spring and summer of this year, we will see a collapse of the dollar, which is in reality a collapse of three huge bubbles, the U.S. debt bubble, the Treasury bubble, from all this money that the federal government has printed and borrowed out of nowhere, the bank balance sheets, which are ready to explode, the American real estate bubble, and the municipal and state debt bubble. They're all going to collapse. With all of this taking place against a background of escalating monetary war between all of the nations, which will become very exacerbated. They analyze the current situation as the world divided into two camps. On one side, those in the West who are dying alongside the United States, dying. And on the other, the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and the emerging countries who are unable 
to take control at present of the international system because they're too small. They only represent 16% of the world economy. They can't save the ship. What is sinking is so big, nothing can save it. So their only action is therefore limited to quietly undermining what remains of the foundations of the pre-crisis dollar order. So the Russians and the Chinese, Brazil and India, the, the rising economic powers, they can't save the West. So all they can do is undermine the U.S. and try to come out in a relatively advantaged position when the world collapses later this year. Ultimately, impotence is widespread within the international community, strengthening not only the risk of major shocks, but the significant impacts of these financial shocks. In the U.S., in terms of deficits, the case is exemplary. Beyond the speeches, beyond all the lies, everything has continued as before the crisis began. Only now, with a federal deficit that's growing exponentially, and even the International Monetary Fund is sounding the alarm. The world of 2008 was shaken surprisingly by the violent impact of the financial crisis that erupted. But the international system was paradoxically better equipped to respond, organized around a single leader, the United States. In 2011, this is no longer the case. Not only is there no longer a single leader, but the system has been bled dry. There's no money left to respond. The situation is further aggravated by the fact that societies of many countries in the world are on the verge of collapse in terms of social and economics. Tunisia, the government just collapsed. Several countries in Europe are on the verge of collapse. California, Illinois, New York, Michigan, numbers of states are on the verge of bankruptcy and collapse. The cities are collapsing. The whole system is ready to be torn down. Society is on the verge of social and economic collapse. This is particularly true in the United States, where after three years of crisis, now the pressure is weighing very heavily on the social economic order and now beginning to produce political pressure, pressures. U.S. households are insolvent by the tens of millions. Former middle class people who are now being pushed into poverty, and many of whom rage against the, the system. Across the globe, we find a world standing at the crossroad of chaos in 2011, as we mark the beginning of what will be known as the unforgiving year. And it will be merciless to those states which have chosen not to face reality after three years of crisis and which have not altered the fundamental imbalances but simply enacted cosmetic changes. The crisis will topple many countries, many communities, and many states who believed that the world would improve and the economy would recover in 2010. It will be a rude awakening for many who have also failed to understand that the values of yesterday for stocks and currencies are no longer the value for tomorrow. History is usually a good girl. She often gives a warning shot before sweeping past you. This time, history gave the warning shot in 2008. We estimate that in 2011, it will give the sweep. 
only those people who have undertaken painstaking changes to adapt to the new world conditions that are being created by this crisis will survive. And for the others, engulfing chaos is at the end of their road. Their projections for this year, 2011 will serve as the detonator for the U.S. federal debt bomb. The continuation of the very Great Depression will push, push large numbers of states and cities into bankruptcy. In the U.S., continuing deterioration of deficits of all kinds, the ongoing collapse of housing, and the burdens of excessive military spending will create an increasing U.S. instability politically and growing institutional paralysis. Gold, of course, will continue to shine as investors seek to protect themselves from the diminishing value of the dollar. The explosion of the federal debt bomb will bring rising interest rates to the U.S. and to the world. Continuing to hold your money in U.S. treasuries or U.S. dollars is a reckless proposition. Inflation is coming in 2011. After flooding the world with liquidity for the last two years, the world must now face the inevitable. Inflation is a mechanism to transfer wealth losses to the holders of U.S. financial assets. Inflation is a way of transferring the losses to people that hold U.S. dollars or U.S. denominated assets. But the price to be paid is in rising interest rates and higher commodity prices. In 2011, the price will be paid. <laughs> this one's great. We will attend the funeral of the world recovery in the first quarter of 2011. Europe is stagnating despite the false government statistics and the lies coming out of the federal government. The U.S. can no longer hide the reality that is sliding further into the very Great Depression. The only recovery in 2011 will be the recovery of the crisis, only now accompanied by rising inflation. The era of U.S. leadership of the world will end in 2011 amid a collapsing dollar and a collapsing domestic economy. The U.S. will be pushed out of Central Asia. Pandora's box will open up inside America, where challenges to the federal government's leadership and domestic policies alongside political and social violence city and community bankruptcies, and a growing internal instability will mark the end of the nation's unchallenged leadership of the world. For Obama, the die is cast, marginalized by the lost majority in Congress, unable to meet the expectations of his electorate, impotent on the international scene. He will be confronted with social economic crisis without end. 2011 will mark the year where the end of his presidency becomes inevitable. The magic of the printing press will no longer be relative or relevant. Americans will discover the harsh truth by summer 2011. The Western consumer is insolvent. Spending will be further cut within the shrinking middle class of Western economies. Real estate prices will continue to fall. Housing will suffer. Only niche markets will escape. Second homes and superfluous properties will collapse in value. The world system's coming apart. You know, it began in 2008, and Shannon, you may remember, in the fall of 2007, I woke up and the Lord had put that poster on the wall in my bedroom. Yeah, I remember that. To, yeah, it was five weeks to the destruction of the fortress of imagination. And, I mean, I woke up, I sat up in bed, and here's this poster on my wall I didn't put up. And I closed my eyes and I shook my head. I'm like, what in the world? You know, I look again and it's gone. And So I jump out of bed and I run and... Get the calendar, and sure enough, it's Rosh Hashanah, New Year's Day, 2007. 
September wow. 29, I believe, was the day. That was right when the stock market was peaking. That was right when the subprime crisis had just come out, and and the government was telling everybody, oh, it's just going to be a little thing. It's going to be like $20 billion. You know, it's not even going to slow us down. No, we're not going to have a recession. It's just a speed bump in the road. And the Lord said, no, uh, it's not a speed bump. It's the total destruction of the fortress of imagination. And the fortress of imagination is a man's money and his, his house, his castle, and his mind. And the Lord has begun the judgment of the whole earth first on the economy, which is our financial system. That is going to be completed this summer. The final death blow will be delivered. Then the second phase of judgment will begin. Go study Ezekiel 14, dear listener. First the breaking of the staff of bread. Then wild beasts come into the land. Go search the Hebrew. Look up the full definitions of those words. The wild beasts translate an evil company of men. And uh, I read that as Red Dawn invasion. Uh, I read that as, as possible martial law, too. Oh, to yeah. rob of children, to separate families, so none can pass through. No more free travel. Forget getting sexually molested when you want to go to the airport. Now you don't even get to travel. No, then it's uh, then it is Fortress America. Except you're on the inside, can't get out. Not that right. easy. Um, there's people that are out there that don't understand the term devaluation of dollar. What does that mean in layman's terms? How will that translate into what they used double. to? It means okay. gas goes to six bucks overnight. Prices double for everything we import. Oh man! It means your dollars are worth fifty cents. It's as if wow. you woke up and everything in the bank was cut in half. So people are asking, do I, uh, if I have the ability now, do I buy some food while I still can? Yeah. Well, My answer is, you know, do you like you to do eat? Is, you know what you do? <laughs> you stop buying food and you start fasting. And you hear from the Lord what he would have you to do for your okay. circumstance. Because, you know, some people should buy food. Some people should leave and move and, and, and buy food after they've moved to their new location. Okay. And if they're not hearing from the Lord and they don't know to move, and they go and buy food in the wrong place, someone well, takes the food. And they're really, true. In, a, in a hard way. Well, it's true. You know, you not everybody... This out. You know, the scripture says, trust not, your, lean not on your own understanding. You can't figure this out. I right. can't figure it out for you. You must hear from the Lord now. You must seek Him with all your might, with all your strength. With everything you got, you got to get before the Lord. If you've never fasted before, well, now you're going to start. You know, and we could do a show on prayer and fasting, and you know what that entails uh, another time, and you know different ways to fast. But you know what? Do anything. You know, absolutely. Fast for meat, just eat vegetables. Daniel did that for three weeks. They call that a Daniel fast. Don't eat any bread. Don't eat any dairy. Don't eat any meat. Just eat. Healthy green vegetables and fruit. That's a hardcore fast. That's actually not that hard on you, but after you get two weeks into it, you'll understand why I call it hardcore. But it's also very good for your system, very healthy. There's a fast where all you do is drink water. And that's If you've never fasted before, you ought to maybe wait for that one a little bit later after you've had a little practice. 
There's a fast where you use distilled water and you use vegetables, celery, beets, and carrots. And you cut them up and you put them in the distilled water and, and you put it in the fridge overnight and put a little couple mint leaves in there and all the electrolytes and the organic salts and all the minerals leach into the water. And you, all you do is drink that water and it keeps your blood chemistry up so that you don't have a crash in the electrolyte level of your blood. But you're not getting any protein or any carbs. You're on a total detox fast. And it's designed for long-term fasting, at least 10 days to up to 40 days. And it will detox your body at the cellular structure. You're carrying, the average American who's an adult is carrying about 20 pounds of poison from all the chemicals that have been sprayed on us and sprayed on the food and all the poison in the water. You know, the poisons are everywhere. And most of us have about 20 pounds of poison in our bodies. That fast will actually move that poison out of you along with a lot of the mucus that's actually accumulated at the cellular level. It'll take wrinkles out of your face. You'll look 10 years younger. It'll restore your immune system. It'll restore your vitality. It'll restore your spirituality. Um, you can fast with just juicing uh, natural vegetables, you know, green leafy vegetables and, and water. There's a lot of ways to fast. Uh, but fasting is not quitting ice cream, Okay. Fasting is not, well, okay, I'm going to, you know, I won't have my cookies. I mean, that's nice, but, you know, maybe if you've got, like, you're a four-year-old or something, maybe that's how your four-year-old could fast, okay? But I'm talking for the adults, the men of God who care about their families in this hour. You know, do you love your wife? Do you love your children? Do you, are you interested in protecting your children who are about to be murdered? Or maybe not. Do you value your own neck? You know, wives, mothers, do you care about your babies? I mean, 30 years ago, the church was told by the Lord to fast and pray for babies being murdered, and nobody, nobody cared. Today, if you can hear the Spirit, the Lord is telling the church, and whoever will listen, you need to fast and pray for your own babies who are about to die. Mothers, do you care? Or do you, do you not believe me? You think I'm kidding? You think the Lord's kidding? You're willing to risk your children? Do you not care? Does Rachel not care about her children anymore? There's a scripture that says Rachel is weeping and she refuses to be comforted because her children are no more. This is what's fixing to happen here, folks. Do you care? I am going to start fasting. I'm ready to begin a long-term fast. I don't know how long. I'm praying that the Lord would allow me to go far enough to break through everything. i got several brethren joining me. And I would encourage all of our listeners, do whatever you can. Join us. We need the remnant on the wall right now. We need every able-bodied man in Israel to grab his sword right now. Get your shield, get your sword, meet me on the wall. Because there's been a gap, there's been a breach in our wall, folks. And we got breached a long time ago. They have overrun us. They've overrun most congregations. They've overrun most families. They've overrun most homes. And they're ready to overrun yours. Now you can go back to sleep, or you can wake up and stand in this final hour. You can decide what you want to do. 
I told you at the start, I'll tell you again. Test my words. Test what I share. Test it in prayer. Ask the Lord to confirm. Lord, did you send that Benjamin? Are you serious? Is this real? Ask him to show you in a dream, to confirm it through his word, to bear witness in your spirit. And if he does, then take heed. Get busy. We got work to do, people. There's very little time left. This thing's breaking upon us this summer. Financial collapse this summer, followed quickly by a wild, wild beast coming into the land. You're not Folks, that's the truth. There is no question about that in my mind, Benjamin. I know time is short, and um, we're supposed to occupy till he comes. That means working for him. The harvest is out there. God's hiring right now. He's paying wages of eternal life and reward. Uh, we need to be found working when he returns. And if uh, you're asked to lay down your life, well, then count that an honor. All the disciples did. And, uh, yeah, again, I, I go back to what you said. Uh, we need to lean out on our own understanding, but acknowledge the Lord, and he will direct our paths. So um, what a word tonight. This is awesome. You inspired me. I'm, I'm picking up my sword. I'm going to the wall now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Because, because, you know, folks, the battle is the Lord's. Amen. This battle is the Lord's. God. And as I shared with you, the Lord himself is going to get involved. Yes. We just got to make ready for the coming of the king. Because the lion from the tribe of Judah is about to make his appearance. And, you know, if we can, if we can hang on till that point, if we can get sanctified and, and we can do what's necessary to hang on until the reinforcements from heaven show up, we will have them on the run, people. You know, there are those among us that are going to overcome and endure until the end see the sign of the Son of Man in the heavens and will be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds when the last trumpet sounds after the tribulation. It's in Matthew yes. 24, verses 29 to 31. After the tribulation of those days, the sign of the Son of Man shall appear in the heavens and the angels will come with the sound of a great trumpet to gather together his elect. And they're going to meet the Lord in the clouds and then we're going on to Jerusalem to take back the kingdom. Amen. And the planet. And it's going to become ours for eternity. Folks, he's only God's coming back one time. restore all things. He's going to restore all things to the condition they were in before the fall. And it is going to be, it's going to be wonderful. And the Lord is going to dwell with us as our friend, our king. But he doesn't just call us to be his subjects. He doesn't call us to be his servants. And that would be honor enough. Even that we are not worthy of. But he's bestowed upon us the greatest of kindnesses. He has called us to be his friends. Well, right now, God's looking for a few friends that are willing to be faithful in the darkest hour of the church. Now, some of you are too busy. You've got to watch American Idol. I understand. You've got graven images to polish. I understand. You've got the mammon of this hour to worry about. I understand. You can't hear me. I know your hearts have waxed dull. Your ears 
are dull. Your eyes are blind. You can't see. You can't hear. I don't know why you even bother turning in, tuning into these programs. You know why? Why don't you just go check out a movie or something? If you're not going to listen and you're not going to respond, what good does it do you to take these words into your heart and to not then respond? You've only become accountable for more of his revelation. And if it's not unto righteousness, then it's unto judgment. Amen. You know, we didn't come forth to convince anybody. God sent his word into every generation before his judgment. Not once did it turn the people. Well, then why did he do it? So they would be without excuse. So when the judgment finally came, no one could say, but Lord, you didn't warn us. Oh, yes, he did. So when this warning comes, what's really happening is the messengers that are bringing the warning, it's like they're walking around with a little grease pencil, Shannon, and they're putting the initials D-O-A on the foreheads of most of their listeners. Dead on arrival. Part of the congregation of the dead. Yeah, there are people today that, that know the time, they listen to these shows. They consider that they're in the remnant. They are deluded. They delude themselves. They run to deception. And they're actually part of the congregation of the dead. And theirs will be the greatest of woe because they knew the hour, they knew the warning, they knew the message, they knew the truth, but in their hearts, they, didn't, they were not honest. They continued to walk in the deception of a double mind. They were afraid to take their brokenness to the Lord. They would rather hide their shame in the darkness than boldly come to the throne of grace and get healing. Or maybe they couldn't forsake their sin. It just had too much of a hold on their heart. And they did not love the truth enough to turn away from their sin. I don't know all the reasons, but I know there are those that are listening who will not respond. I know I may be as a pleasant song to them and one that speaks well, and they might enjoy hearing my words, but they will not do them. And, and that's how it was in, in the days past, too. There have been many, many people that, that wanted to listen, but when it came time to act... They, they weren't willing to do anything. And, you know, and this hour is exactly the same, you know. Hearing these words are not going to save you. You know, calling yourself the part of the remnant is not going to save you. You've got to turn and obey. Amen. Benjamin, um, our time is up for tonight. If folks, I'm still going on the stereo stream right now, and if you miss this program, uh, in a few moments it's going to be up in the archives. Um, in the minute or so remaining, Benjamin, would uh, you give out your contact information and also close in prayer for tonight? This was an awesome word tonight, brother. Well, um, I don't really have contact information, but I would... Um I mean, if people want to, they could shoot you an email, but I, there's no way to send me one through my website. Um, 
I do have a website, benjaminbrook.com. If you're interested in reading the book that uh, the Lord dictated much of it, and I merely typed it, um, it's, you can get it on Amazon.com. There are still a few copies left, and then it, I think it may just be gone forever. Um, and, you know, I would just ask everyone, you know, please keep me in your prayers. Keep Shannon in your prayers, you know. The Lord gave us this job to do, but we're, you know, we're no different. We're in the same place you guys are in, only we're accountable for for understanding all of it. And, and you know, we're all in trouble here, folks. We all got trouble coming. None of us are ready. I'm not ready. You're not ready. Shannon's not ready. We got to get ready. Amen. You know, so, and you know what? the fasting and the prayer, and, and, and by fasting, it's not just abstinence from food, but it's sanctifying the time, you know. Turn off that secular music. Burn those those secular CDs, you know, all that rock and roll music you bought, burn it. Smash it into pieces and throw it in the trash. Yes. Cleanse your house. Get all that satanic stuff out of your house. Cleanse your body. Get all that satanic junk out of your body. And, you know, seek the Lord. And um, Father God, we ask that you would give us hearts to hear, hearts to obey. Lord, we are crying out to you in this final hour. We ask you to forgive us our sins, Lord. Show us your mercy, God. Show us your faithfulness. Lord, we agree with your word and we say yes and amen. Lord, we confess before you and before men that we have sinned, Lord. We have revolted against you. We live among a generation that has gone astray, in which a great falling away has occurred. We live among a wicked and an adulterous generation, and we are all guilty, Father God. But Lord, we confess our sins, and we desire to turn from them. We desire to be clean, Lord. We want to be restored to fellowship with you. We want to be restored to walking in the holy place, Lord. We want to be your friends. We want to be reconciled to you as our God, as our King, as our Savior. Lord, put a new heart within us. Give us ears to hear. Anoint our ears with oil that we might hear. Lord, anoint our eyes that we might see. Give us hearts to perceive and to understand. Turn us, Lord, and we shall be turned. And we thank you, God, for all that you've done and for all of your ways, for they are altogether righteous and true. Lord, bless the listeners, bless the people that hear these words. Hear their cry, O oh Lord. Lord, help them to turn from their evil and their wicked ways and to call upon your name and to seek your face, that you might hear them from heaven, Lord, and heal their lives, heal their families, Lord. Bring them within the ark, within the place of safety, within your hiding place, that they might be preserved and protected, that they become what is yours, Lord, and that you would protect that which is yours while you go forth to bring your final judgment on this earth. Lord, we thank you, and we look forward to your coming, and we, we agree with the Spirit, and we say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Maranatha. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Shannon. Amen. God bless you, Benjamin. Uh, may the Lord richly bless you, and I uh, hope to see you back next week, brother. All right. Take thank care. you very much. Folks, you've been listening to Benjamin Brooke. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have him on tonight. He is author of the book, The Day of the Lord is at Hand. 
Uh, it's available up on Amazon. I would encourage you to go over and get a copy of it. Uh, it's a fantastic book. And uh, I want to thank everybody that tuned in tonight. Um, with all these programs, they're available up on the archives for free download. Also, you can get them up at iTunes. Uh, archive is blogtalkradio.com slash omegamanradio.rss. Uh, our official website is omegamanradio.com. And uh, appreciate you spreading the word, uh, keeping us in prayer, that we may be able to continue these programs. Uh, shouts out to all our friends. Uh, be sure and check out patholiday.com and miracleinternetchurch.com, uh, the ministry of Dr. Pat Holiday. I also recommend uh, wrwpublications.com for some great deliverance books. And um, if you need to get in contact with me, you can do so via Shannon at OmegaManRadio.com or uh, up on my Facebook page, Omega Man Radio. Now, if you'd like to contact uh, Benjamin Baruch, drop me an email, and then I will forward it and get it into his hands um, as promised. Again, God bless everyone. Uh, I'm going to have a special guest tomorrow night. I'm going to have Trezor. Uh, he's a brother from the Congo. wrote a book called Journey into the Heart of Darkness, uh, an amazing story how he went in and was able to get into the mountains and spend some time with the warlords over there, which are in charge of these uh, armies of children. It's a fantastic story. I met him over Thanksgiving at my brother's house. He's also a deliverance minister. And uh, praise God for him. And um, we'll be doing that program tomorrow night at 8 p.m. May God bless and everyone out there ritually, and uh, I'll see you on the next edition of Omega Man Radio. God bless you. Radio. Our mission is to operate in the threefold ministry of Jesus Christ and take evangelism, deliverance from demons, and miracle healing to the world. If you would like to partner with us, you can support this work by donating any amount online at OmegaManRadio.com. Join us in an all-out attack against the hosts of hell. It's time to deliver a death blow to the enemy and take back territory for Jesus. Tell a friend.